You're listening to the Growth Manifesto podcast, brought to you by Web Profits, where we share inspiring stories of real people who've succeeded in the marketing and business world. Today, we interview Melinda Muth, Managing Director of Streamwise Learning, Facilitator, Board Advisor, and Fellow of the Australian Institute of Company Directors, Director of the Harvard Club Australia, and author of the book, Setting the Tone from the Top, How Director Conversations Shape Culture. We talk about leadership, culture, and how to build highly effective teams. So let's get into it. I did it most probably for the same reasons as you wanted to get up on stage for. Actually, what were the reasons why you wanted to get up on stage? To make people laugh. Yeah. Because there's right. more laughter needed in the world. Mm-hmm. Are you a funny person? Well, I, I don't know. Although... When I did the AICD course last week, uh, one of the participants said to me, you're so funny. Yep. But see, laughter leads yeah. to learning. You know, it opens up brain. Sure, so, absolutely. Yeah. Do, do you have a funny filter for life? Can you see the funny in stuff? It's sort of a black comedy thing. Yeah, but it's there, right? <laughs> it's definitely there. It's there. It's, a black yeah. <laughs> it's there, but it's kind of black. Yeah, yeah. But I think that's really important too. I think if you've got that filter, that's going to help you out as well. Um, the other thing that the one of the reasons I got into it is the same reason as you is when people mm-hmm. go, hey, Melinda, you're really funny. You should get up on stage. And um, and you think, yeah, I, I am. And you'll go out to dinner parties and I'm pretty sure that people will tell you that you're quite funny and whatnot. Is that, they say, is that? I've, I've had this feedback that I'm zany. Zany's or zany funny. or quirky, yeah, yeah. you know, and I'll say the way I'll put, you know, people say, oh, you should do writing because, you know, you're so f- funny, the things you say or talk yep. about. So and how do you take that? Because yeah, I get told, oh, that's really quirky of you. But like, mm. what are you trying to say? What's quirky mean exactly? Does quirky, uh, and so I say, that's a compliment. Thank you. <laughs> the thing is, it's real improv with me. Like I'll say something and I get a reaction. And I don't even remember it. I can't, it's not like I can repeat it. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. That's the whole thing. And that's the art of it. And, and then, so Alex, you get called, is it quirky or zany? Oh, I get called lots of things. No, but like, like <laughs> no, because it, it's, it's quite interesting what does come out because you do have, I get called unique, unique, unique quite wow. a lot. Okay. So I just take that as a compliment. I don't want to delve into it too far with, <laughs> well, with that kind of f- Unique is a, a lovely comment because you're getting acknowledged as a human being. <laughs> as long as you're getting some and acknowledgement, it's Yeah, I know, but then good, where do you it? go with that? I think it's a positive and I like that you take it on board as a positive, which is really good. Adrian, how are we going all focused up? We're good? All right, ladies and gentlemen, we're all rolling. Um, thank you for that, Adrian, by the way. It's, um, I've worked with a lot of people that focus in life and <laughs> you're okay. <laughs> That's why I like What you say it. now is thank you for the feedback. <laughs> All righty. So what we'll do, Melinda, what we normally do is we normally roll into this and we don't know when we're going to start, but we're going to okay. just cha- start chatting and, um, and Adrian will decide when he does all that. Okay. But I am very, very uh, excited about today's podcast on Growth Manifesto. Um, Alex, I know that you're very excited as well. How are you, mate? Very well, mate. How are you, Tony? Very good. Very good to see you. You're looking nice and tanned, by the way. Just back from holidays. Yes. I was overseas in Europe for three weeks. Yep. So that was good. And it was actually a holiday for the first time. I mean, I still did like an hour or two per day of, 
you know, checking emails and Slack and all that. Oh, but there was no the, the, productive work. How can work. you say that? No well, productive work. It was it was a real holiday. Oh, by the way, I was checking in on emails two yeah, or three but times a day. Normally, it's my most productive time. I mean, I can do some writing and this and that. I can do research you and know, innovation. Multitasking is a myth. Uh, exactly. You know it's a myth. Which it is, actually lowers the quality of your decision-making by at least 10%. But that's why on holidays it's so good because there's no distractions. I can focus in on one thing for hours and hours and hours, and I didn't do that this time. <laughs> do, do you know what I'm just going to – I'm going to say, and we're going to introduce you, Dr. Melinda Muth, uh, amazing woman. I'm going to give you a proper introduction, but what I've just loved just watching that interaction now between you and Alex <laughs> is, Melinda, you're actually a consultant for Alex and have been for the last seven years, and I love it how he's gone straight straight into like almost student mode like but I did do my work overseas it was like really really good it was like I, I mean and then like, I'm lecturing him and you know, you know. I'm just gonna ruin you. <laughs> so whatever you're doing is amazing Dr. Melinda Muth, let me introduce you properly. You're an educator and author, a, a board advisor to the Australian Institute of Company Directors. You're a speaker, a facilitator. You're also the managing director of Streamwise Learning and its Institute of Food and Grocery Management. This is a nice one. This is where we have so much in common. Oh, okay. A graduate of Harvard Business School. Yes. I went to Wollongong University. <laughs> <laughs> Wollongong University is a good school. School. This is this is Harvard, though. This is beautiful. I, I love it. The street cred you've got on this. You're also an author. You've got this book called Setting the Tone from the Top, and I'd love to get into that today. Mm-hmm. You've worked globally. You've worked in Australia. You've worked in Asia. You've worked all over America as well. Uh, you previously held a number of senior executive roles, including the National Director of Business Development Marketing for Deloitte. You hold a PhD from the Australian Graduate Australian Graduate School of Management for research in the field of corporate governance. Now, that's quite interesting because that really fits in with what you do. You love your charity work as well. Oh, I do, I do, do. I do. You've got this one called Paint the Town Red, which is a mission which is simply to read, talk, sing, and a theme for children from birth so they are ready to learn at school. I'd I'd love to know more about that. It's with the education theme. Yeah, absolutely. You love education. I do. And you're a consultant. You specialise in personal and team effectiveness. Mm. All right, so it's all about decision-making, group effectiveness. You mainly deal with senior executives and leadership teams, and you help individuals, teams to innovate, solve problems, and take action. You are an amazing human being. Thank you for that feedback. (laughs) You are absolutely... Well, people write their bios so it sounds good. You're not going to write it so you don't sound good. Yeah, but if I can say... Was that fair? I know. But if I can say, you know, there's some people who have to try to find stuff, I think... You need to kind of have to choose which stuff to put first and which stuff to, in, to, to include or not. And it's pretty impressive. Yeah, you know, well, the stuff which you've done and the stuff which you're continuing to do, it's pretty impressive. Sometimes I've wondered, though, if that's a problem, though, because it doesn't look like there's a coherent thread to what I do. I, I think, think there is. Yeah, I think there is too. Oh, let's yep. good. Let's find yes. it. Yes. <laughs> well, let's look at this, Alex. Let's, uh, you know what I'm really excited about or interested about is where did your passion come from, from, um, you know, uh, developing teams um, and people themselves? Well, from observing people and seeing that they would be trying to solve a problem and they'd be hung up on the actual if I could say technical content of what they were doing, but they were speaking at cross purposes and then they were getting angry or worked up or disrespectful toward each other, and then the whole thing would fall apart. So I thought behavior is a huge piece of making things work, and people don't notice their own behavior. Mm -hmm. And so 
if you're in the kind of role that I have that's a facilitation role and people have agreed to let you play that role, you can keep the conversation moving. And hopefully you can teach them some skills so they don't need help to do it themselves. Yeah, absolutely. So what was it for you? What was a point where you said in your career, I've got to make a difference? I've seen a few behaviours. Was it within yourself or was it in others that you saw? Um, gee, that's a hard question to ask. I, I think a lot of it was in myself. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I was saying to you earlier that I grew up in a very religious household with mm-hmm. real, uh, real values around... Um, integrity, honesty, and your behavior and your, uh, what, you, what you owe to the rest of the world, especially if you're a lucky person. Mm. Uh, there's something about sharing and giving back. So I don't really practice the religion in which I was raised because I don't have much time for rituals or, or things like that. What has stuck with me is those values because despite the fact that I argued with my dad all the time about it, he was an exemplar of those values. And I can say that I really respected that. Yep. And I, I would want that for myself. I, I would like to be a person who's considered decent. Well, I consider you decent, Melinda. Oh, thank you, Alex. <laughs> I mean, and just yeah. to give some context, I mean, I think I met you um, through Paul, mm-hmm. um, well, my business partner, um, mm-hmm. seven years ago now, probably yeah. six, seven years ago. And, and, I spoke to Paul and he's like, look, there's this this person um, who I used to report to on the board of directors of the company, which uh-huh. I was the CEO at, and um, she's really nice. She really tells you how it is. So she comes across really, really friendly. And I told this to, to Tony as well, <laughs> but she's strong. <laughs> yeah. And she would tell you how it is. And, you know, we started um, to work together like seven years ago yeah. and you've helped me along the way and there's not many people who can what's the word put me in my place is that the right way to put it oh I would Bring never have the, done that would <laughs> no. I wasn't doing that Melinda no, you said uh-huh. on a couple of times slow down Alex you're mm. going too fast and you know people tell me that all the time and I don't listen but with Melinda she made me mm-hmm. she, she, she got me to listen and everybody else in the company was like wow yep. how did she do that <laughs> Can I just say, Melinda, that is amazing. Oh, is it? Mm-hmm. You don't know how amazing that is. <laughs> like, he's amazed. We're blown away. <laughs> and I love Alex to death. But if you can do that, it is beautiful. So uh, I really like that. Um, what I'm really interested in is is how did your relationship start? So what were the things, Alex, that you found in your business? So you'd t- sit down with Paul and going, hey, you know, we need somebody like Melinda to come on board. And just before you do do that is how did you f- first find Alex when you met him? Oh, I thought he was fantastic because mm-hmm. he's an innovator. Yep. He's really, and he's fast. Mm-hmm. I mean, and if you want to get it all, he's got to slow down so you can catch up with it. But he's like, yeah. he's action man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. I like. So what was it? What, you, Is that fair? Or Yeah, no, yeah it's that's true. Not, I'm not, I'm yeah, not trying no, to be no. mean. I, thought, no. good, I took that I'm as a compliment that, again. Yeah, I think is. I'm an optimist. <laughs> yes. No, it is. That's how it's meant. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so when, so what was the question again? So the question was, what, what, was, what happened in your business to actually reach out to Melinda and say, hey? I remember. Yeah, I remember too. I'm trying to figure out the best way to put it uh, <laughs> succinctly. Yeah. We, I mean, I think this was about seven years ago, right? Mm. So we were like 
13 years in business now, so we're six years in business and we had a major crossroads in kind of restructuring our company mm-hmm. to be the most effective that it could be. Um, I guess having experienced a bit of a, I guess like a downturn mm. and having to make a major shift very quickly and being able to navigate that shift in a productive way. And so at the end of it, we're stronger. Mm-hmm. And the hardest part about that was the people part, you know? And so we're like, yeah. you know, that's not our strength. Um, and we're getting better, I'd say. But at the time it was like, we we needed um, some really solid experience and advice on how to progress. And that's when we engaged Melinda and she really helped us to really understand the psychology of the team and how to present it and like, you know, to have a town hall. And that was mm-hmm. the beginning oh, you of remember the town, the town hall. hall. <laughs> And that was the beginning of kind of our shift from the traditional agency structure to the producer model, which led the, to the fluid model and so on. Um, but I remember at the time, she was talking about concepts that were Pods. only starting to inc- to implement like next month, right? And this yep. was like seven years ago. And so I started off by saying she talks and she shares ideas and it stops my brain because it's so complex and it's so it's so like lateral yep. that I can't comprehend it. Yeah. Right. And that's the part which is extremely powerful in, you yep. know? And uh, I guess her understanding of the psychology of the team and the staff yep. and what happens if you get stressed and stuff like that, you know, that's extraordinary insight, especially at a t- time of actually having to shift the organisation. Yeah, sure. And it's it's a great intro into this because, as you know, Melinda, um, the Growth Manifesto podcast is to inspire growth mm. uh, other organisations, mm. whether it's with their culture or just their innovation process and all that. And I think the best thing that we've got you in today is that we've got a real case study here, right? So in saying that, when you first walked in, did you see there were common problems within web profits that you'd see in many other businesses as well? And if you did, where do you start? I think the answer is yes, because someone like me who works in a lot of different places, I I guess you're sort of like a bee. You're going from flower to flower to flower, and other people are just on the same flower, so they only see those petals, and if you see all these other things, then you see there's a pattern there. So I think I'm good at pattern recognition. The thing was, when Paul first called me, uh, the first meeting about it was over at the accountant's office. And I think he said something to me like he wanted a contrarian view. I think those were his words. And he thought Sounds I, like Paul. And he thought I was good at that. And I didn't quite know how to take that. I thought, hmm. Uh, but I knew that if I was going to meet at an accountant's office, I definitely would not be saying the same thing as an accountant says. Mm-hmm. I just knew that. I yep. just knew it. And of course, you know, because if, if things are tough, uh, it's usually about the dollars and if you're an accountant and you're counting up, you want the accounts to count up properly. So you usually say, well, let's cut costs. Mm-hmm. And I think that um, that's the knee-jerk reaction to what people do. And if they actually engaged people more in the thinking before they took a move like that, uh, they would come out better off. Mm. And that's why I can remember sitting in that sort of loft-type room and saying you know what if you cut the wrong 
what, what if you cut the wrong services, the wrong people? What, what if you actually injure the business? And then we started talking about, well, how would we figure out what to do? And then I said, well, I've been to your office and you all sit in one room. Mm-hmm. Do you not think that the people sitting in that room observe each other and know what's going on? It's not like they're, not like they're out of it. The, whatever we're talking about here, they already know about it. They already know <laughs> sitting yeah. in one room. I mean, other complex businesses, you don't have people sitting all in one room, but I thought, I, that's why I came up with the town hall idea. Uh, I remember saying that that's what you ought to do because... And what's a town hall just for people who don't know what that actually oh, I, means? I used the phrase town hall mm. because that's how people used to solve problems, you know, sort of in the early days of democracy. You'd gather people together and they would all um, share their thoughts in, in a group. Now, I know that sort of devolved into, you know, maybe some things that are less than positive and in today's world, but it was like getting all the people together to say what we see, what our views are. And, and I thought they're all sitting in one room and the answer's in the room. Mm -hmm. Maybe somebody's not being heard or they're just afraid to say it. So all you have to do is give them the opportunity because Mm -hmm. people know, people don't get credit for the things that they know. It's, it's, it's the same, you know, way that adults sometimes treat little kids like they don't know what's going on. Believe me, they know what's going on. It's amazing you say, because we do, I've been in situations Mm -hmm. like that. You've been in situations, you know, there's something on, there's a negative Mm -hmm. vibe there or just a vibe that's not working. And the fear of not being able to speak Mm -hmm. up is just, oh, it's terrifying. So, so Myself, I, I, I go one of two ways. I either sit there and say nothing mm-hmm. or I say something. And I unfortunately, I come from a Hungarian background and we only have black and white. And it's like we just say it how it is. So I either have – I say it exactly how I see it and then I get chastised for it. I just like, yep, see you later, you're out of here. Or they go, that's an interesting point, but you've got to simmer down your feedback. Well, you know, that's an interesting comment because mm-hmm. – that's whatever. That's what we all do. We we say it the way we see it. The problem is every human brain is unique, so it sees things different ways. And it's the inability of one brain to understand that another brain sees a different thing, mm-hmm. and respect that that might have some validity. That that actually uh, results in we won't let anybody talk because if they all talk and they all give different views, we won't be able to do anything with it. We won't be able to manage it. We won't be able to get it under control. And they might say things that, that we don't agree with. Yep. And then we won't get our own way. Or we'll see some sense in what they're saying. And then we might lose face because we change our mind. Right. So how do you deal with that? I mean, like you've got Alex and Paul sitting there. And you mm-hmm. most probably had these these fears as well. It's like people might say stuff that we're not going to be happy with or we're not going to change the organization or the values around it from what you've heard. So you would have had to have coached them around that. Is that correct? I, I did. Paul said, uh, "I don't." You were there. He said, "Well, how are we going town hall? How do we do that? Mm. What does it look like?" I think that's the biggest one, right? Is that you don't know what you don't know, right? Mm. And when you need to make a big change, um, and you think it's for the best, and mm. you, I mean, you trust it's for the best, but you don't know what the process is, and you don't have the experience of somebody like Melinda mm. until you have that experience um, yep. to say, actually, that's okay. That's a process. And you, yep. uh, you'll you be surprised potentially yeah. on what can come out of it. You yeah. know? And they might all actually say that's actually the right idea. 
Yep. But they might come up with a better idea. That's what, and that's what I and said. And that's what she said. Yeah. And that's what we did, and it was true. And yeah. I said, whatever ideas they come up with, do not take an action immediately. I think that made your yeah. brain hurt. <laughs> yeah, don't take action. What? Uh, do not. What's the point of an idea with action. no action? And if I recall, yeah. it wasn't that. L- it, it was not long before Christmas. Yes. And who wants to come to a meeting and hear they're going to suffer in some way mm. right before Christmas? Only Scrooge would do that. Yes. Yeah, you know, like and that. you yeah, know yeah. how many companies, like, they give people the sack or they do horrible things to them right before Christmas and then go, you know, go off and have a nice holiday. Well, gee, thanks a lot. Yeah. You yeah. know, so uh, I thought that the process should be uh, a way to have everyone articulate their view. So that was like breaking the group down into smaller groups mm-hmm. and then having them... I think I asked you to write things on each group had to write things on flip charts, if I recall. Something like that. Yeah, I think it evolved. I, don't, I, I, I wasn't there, so yeah. I don't know exactly how you did mm. it, but I, yeah. I suggested a process. And then I remember Paul called me up and he said, it, it, it went like you said. They, they act, and, and a lot of the things that people said were the things you were already thinking. Mm. So mm. then, you know, it isn't, there's, there's a, a book called, um, the Abilene Paradox. I don't know if you've ever heard of that. No. And it, it actually describes this, you know, one of the biases in the human brain that people don't speak up. So they all take a trip that nobody wanted to take because nobody wanted to say anything to each other. Right. But on this occasion, people spoke up, both of you spoke up, and there, w- there was convergence and agreement. And then, I, as I recall, people actually put their hand up to say, you know, I can see where you're going. It doesn't work for me. Uh, Paul said something to me about getting a thank you for that process, you know, that people made their own decisions because, you know, everyone likes to have agency over their own life and to take a decision themselves instead of being told to take one. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, I think like one of um, um, the interesting, uh, what's the word? The interesting... I guess like lessons out of that whole mm-hmm. thing is like if you build the right culture mm-hmm. and you have the right people, you can trust them and you should trust yes. them and you should be giving them the information and the transparency mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. include yep. them in the process and note and don't try to put everything on to your own shoulders, which is kind of like mm-hmm. how everybody kind of handles it. They're like, mm-hmm. well, actually I should be doing this myself and you know, like I should be going that direction, but actually say, Hey, it's a team for a reason. But was that hard for you, Alex? Let's be really fitting for a second because you saying that now sounds really cool and it's logical and it's it's what you should do. But being a business owner, to have that level of transparency and and trust and honesty with your staff, was that an easy thing for you to actually accept? Of course not. Of course not. But that's why you have somebody um, who's like Melinda to to kind of to say that's how you do it, you know? And that's why like you... Like I am a big proponent yep. um, of having experts around because yeah, nice. they've gone yep. through stuff, they've seen stuff, they have a lot more experience. Yes, yeah? so like if I want to do anything in life, yep. I don't want to figure it out myself. I want to find <laughs> someone who's awesome <laughs> and get them to tell me this is the way to do it, right? And, and it's not that simple, yep. right? And there's still action, but, you know, of course it's not simple, you know, but then you take an action, you listen, you yep. see what happens, you get positive feedback, the cycle begins right yep. and then all of a sudden like you go oh this inclusion things 
something. That's <laughs> like a real thing. This inclusion <laughs> thing. <laughs> this, this thing actually <laughs> works. It's something. But you touched on something really important and you started to talk about company culture and the impact that it had on your culture and, and, and you can you can see mm, where mm-hmm. this goes. So let, let's, do you want to open that yeah. up a little bit? Yeah, sure. All right, go for it. Oh, which part? Which part do you want to open up? I guess <laughs> like, part? well, I think like the big thing which, um, which I can start to open up with, I guess, yeah. is, you know, we talk about um, the company culture a lot and, you know, mm. we often get told that our culture is a good culture and mm-hmm. stuff like that and it's always like, yeah, cool and you, you often get asked on kind of, you know, what's the best way to create a company culture. So I figured, you know, we could take a second mm-hmm. potentially to define Oh, what thank. is culture? Because oh, it's you. such a hot topic. <laughs> oh, thank you. It's thank such you, a hot thank you topic. And but yep. I don't think people really it's like it's like air <laughs> or something. So yeah, like, is could like we start there maybe and yeah. then this could go into a number of directions. So we'll see if we can just get it into something that the people um, who are listening can action, yeah? But I think uh, to get to that point, they need to understand it first. And so could you help to maybe define it, Melinda? Oh, it would <laughs> be my pleasure because I'm getting very upset about the usage of the word culture mm. at present because it's become one of the words and it seems to be a bucket that covers everything that's not finance, mm. that's wrong in a place. It's the culture. Yep. You know, it's this, it's, <laughs> you know, whatever it is, it's the culture. Well, Tell me how you define culture. Oh, well, then you'll get lots of different definitions. The most favored one seems to be the way we do things around here. I'm thinking that's making me none the wiser Mm -hmm. about how I'm going to sort out what's going wrong. Yep. So it really is about behavior and behavior is driven by the mindsets that people hold. So it is like air because you cannot see people's mindsets and they're all different because everybody's brain and their experience, their training, their wisdom is completely separate. And people see with their brains, not their eyeballs, if that makes any sense. You know, when people look at something, they're seeing it with their brain and their experience and their lens. And so their brain is looking to match something up. So if they hear something that is in opposition, they're likely to reject it. And so, you know, when you found a company, the way you do things uh, the way you interact, the fact that you included... There's a little fly there and I can see... Uh, oh, a fly? Yeah. It's gone Culture now. fly? It's a cult. It's one of those, yep. you know what, when you talk about something as rich as culture, uh-huh. they'll come running and they'll even fly in. Oh, even they'll <laughs> fly in. But sorry, yeah. I, yeah. It's because we were mentioning air. Yeah. Because, you know, you can't see air. If there was no air right now, there would be no podcast because we wouldn't be breathing. But people don't want to put any um, emphasis on things they can't see. Uh, What people see is what matters to them, like celebrity or whatever. Uh, So people can create these images that Mm. are something you can see. And the reality of it is unseen. And that's how culture is. But so what is it still? I still don't... It's the um, what is it? It's it's the it's it's the 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 mindsets, the beliefs that are formed in a place about what makes success here, and what is allowable to do and not do. And people pick that up from what they see their leaders 
do and say, and they pick that up from decisions, and they pick that up from the behaviors that are allowed or not allowed. So it's something really, really difficult to measure. What you can say about culture is what are the elements that impact people's mindsets, how they think about things. So number one, it matters who's on the team, Mm. who you recruit. Mm. You know, it's, it's, I think, a special kind of person that works at Web Profits because there's a, you know, a value set and a similar attitude and a commitment and a passion. And that's got a lot to do with who you hire here. Because I know you spend a lot of time on that. Who's going to be on the team? It's very interesting. I talk about that a lot in relation to corporate governance. But, you know, sometimes there's no control over who's on the board. They're elected or appointed. And then I... <laughs> I say to people in classes, if, if you were going to have an award-winning team, would you elect the kicker? I mean, like people, the way the interactions yeah. are going to happen are going to depend on who's on the team. Yep. So it really matters who you hire. That's number one. Then, yeah, yep. you want to say something, Tony? No, I just like breathing like that. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's cool. I was. Gonna, I think you're about to allude to it now, so I'm, I'm going to allow you. Because then, one, once people get hired, mm. then they're in the place, and you can have some formal induction processes and tell them some things so they can see the visuals. They can look at your website and see the values. I always make jokes about that, though, because if you look at every website, they all say they value teamwork. Hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so there's the things that show, but they're things that don't show. So when people come to a place, they might hear that there's a set of values, then they're going to observe whether they're actually in practice or not. And Mm. if you said that um, teamwork mattered at Web Profits, I think um, people would see that, yes, it does. Because that's how the place operates. You can see how people share information, how they work together in groups, how they pull together in groups. So people can observe that. So you get the right people, then they observe those team behaviors So, you know, there's an induction, formal and informal. Then there's a reward system because, you know, people go towards rewards. So they can Mm -hmm. have all these values, but if if the reward system is set up that pulls them away from those values, then there's, you know, a misalignment there, a gap, and that can create some, uh, you know, ambiguity or uh, issues around you know, people yep. saying, you know, there's a gap here and they might want to speak up about it. They might not. And then, and, and then the other big thing is the, the leaders and how they behave, whether they're willing to listen to that or not. And, you know, the example that you and Paul set when you did that town hall, I think that was, that would have been very powerful. It yeah. did get a great result, mm. didn't it? Yep. And then I, I remember later on after that, uh, there was some other thing that happened and Paul called me up again and he said, oh, things are going really well. We have to add people. Do you remember that? Mm. <laughs> and he said the accountant was saying that you should be adding people. And he wanted to know what I thought of that. And I thought, it's going to be same as before. If the accountants are saying that, I'm probably going to say the opposite. <laughs> you are contrarian yeah. in that way. Well, because that's a... But I, not I, just I'm, to be I'm contrarian. Not trying to make, I'm not trying to make light of accountants either. That's really important stuff. Yeah, of course. But that's one view on the world. Yep. Uh, and one one view about how to do things. So I think I said at that stage to you and to Paul, well, hang on. Why is it that you need to add more people? Have you examined 
what is the reason it looks like there's more work? And that's mm. when I made your brain hurt. Mm. Because if you're doing something and you just want to do more of it, so you just keep running harder and adding people on to keep doing those moves, that's not necessarily going to take you where you want to go. You might have to be looking at the parts of the operation and why they're stressed. Mm. Yeah. And if you change that, maybe you don't need to actually add anybody. Yeah. But that's how that's how overheads grow and you get this huge bureaucracy. And and just uh, just on that point because it's uh, because it's a good one. Um, at the time we we're making too many sales. And that was the problem. Oh, really? Oh, and yeah, so we that did was, that whole we're analysis too of many sales. sales, and that and that kind of led to to um um stress, stress, and yeah. we'll come back to that mm-hmm. um a bit later because um, yeah. I think that's a good one. But just come back um to to, to culture part because I like mm-hmm. the definition of that. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's basically it's what I guess is in the shared collective minds of the the, the team. Um, and it's what they kind of observe. It's, it's the reward systems and all those uh, mm-hmm. components. Mm-hmm. At what point, I guess, uh, does culture start to be created? Yeah, so um, a person that's just started a company mm-hmm. and it's a couple of staff. Is it starting there? Yes, or is that's it, exactly where it's starting. Is, is that where it starts? It's starting because you, you can... Uh, see stories about lots of companies that have been around for a long time and they're still referring back to their founders and what the founders did. I mean, even though Steve Jobs isn't around anymore, I am sure that his uh, way of looking at the world and way of doing things is still alive in the brains of a lot of people at Apple in the yep. way that they the way that they do things. Because the, the founding uh, principles of, of a company come from the people who started I, I, I think Atlassian would be an example yeah. of that and they're they're a company that's you know ha, gets a lot of accolades for their culture and I've, I even wrote a I put that story in the book because they um, there was some interview with the the two founders and they were talking about how people wanted to come to work at Atlassian because it was yeah. so cool yeah you know uh, and what they thought the culture was was pool tables and you know beanies on backwards and you know we're having a good time and that isn't actually what made it Lassian a success that was that might have been a sign of of flexibility and um willing to be different but that's yeah. something that you know just to come to a place because it looks cool and different that isn't actually what made at a success so they ended up uh as i understand the story uh, getting all the people together who were there with them from the start you know, a cross section of people who maybe it was like a town hall or, or some kind of a some kind of a workshop to really, you know, talk about and chew over what what is it that makes this place what it is? What is it about how we behave? What what do we value as principles of success? Because that's what makes our culture what it is. And they decided from that what their hiring principles were gonna be. So that's really interesting because uh, this is a conversation I think that we were having with Tony yesterday just in preparation for this interview mm-hmm. um, was, you know, just in like the parts of culture which are, are um, challenging, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so it starts when it's just a couple of people, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but then the example which you just gave about Atlassian was mm-hmm. that they pulled together the people that, that um, had just started 
to create their hiring policies. No, no, the, the, the sorry, I didn't make myself clear. No, no, the I people didn't. who had been there from, from the, the start. start. Yeah, to from pull, the start. To pull together their hiring policies, all right, to ensure that there was a strong culture. So this is like a larger organisation now trying to to really set the culture kind of actively. Yeah. Well, to is to, that right? to well to understand what it actually is because when you start something, you're not thinking about that. Mm. You're just thinking about I got to make this thing go, and I'm making daily decisions that are saying something about my mindset and what I value. You know, if I if if I had made that suggestion to you and Paul, and you said, "Oh, forget that. We're just going to X these costs out of the business," that would have said something to everybody about what matters around here, and it's just the dollars. Mm. Yep. That isn't the message you sent. That's right. The message you sent was, you know, people can have a say-so and they can have, you know, they, they have value in this, even though we know we have to take uh, hard decisions. So mm. that's that's what people got from that decision. So then I guess the question is then um, the larger, um, the larger, the larger a company is, mm-hmm. the harder it is the to change is. that culture or to fix a toxic culture potentially, right? And so, like, at what point is it too difficult or or and um, how can a company approach something like that? Well, you know, I think what, was, what I thought was cool about the Atlassian example is they pretty early in the piece tried to identify uh, – what was the source of their success? What it is it? What is it about the way they were interacting that made them mm. successful? Yep. And I, I do this sometimes in classes. I try to get people to think about success and what are the factors that make success. And it gives them psychic pain because people are really yep. only tuned into what goes wrong because that's how humans are hardwired. Mm. You know, the pain of of loss is more motivational than the satisfaction of gain. Yeah. And it's, you know, there are interesting researchers who I, I haven't, you know, created this point of view because there are other people that talk about it. But if you um, uh, understand what creates success, you can, uh, if you can articulate that and make that clear, then people know what to do to be successful and what, don't we all value what makes success? Yep. Why do we spend so much time looking at what causes <sighs> failure? Because, you know, we've got that right now. We've just had a banking royal commission. So everybody's running after whatever came out of that. Um, And I'm not saying that that's not important, but it's all relative to a total total package. Um, And to understand the sources of your success and what, what belief system people have about what makes them successful, that is, that's what culture is. And if you never articulate that, you probably don't even know exactly what you've got. So how can you change it if you don't even know what you've got now, wait, in the first place? Are, are things changing though? I mean, mm-hmm. I, I've, I've been reading reading snippets of your mm-hmm. book and I, and I also mm-hmm. look at, so we're looking at culture and looking at mm-hmm. the values that we install. Mm-hmm. And if we go back to an Alassian, you go, it, it's from the origins where the culture mm-hmm. was set and, and mm-hmm. things like that. In your book, you're talking about more of the directors should be concerned with the culture where they have a direct impact in actually bringing that up and installing the culture they want to have. Ooh, I, I think I was actually saying that they need to realize that that they have limited capacity to do that if they're not in the business 365 days a year. But yep. what they what they can do is pay attention to the quality of the conversation they have among themselves and with their CEO and uh, be aware 
of the tone that they have set by the decisions they've taken. If, yeah. if every time something goes wrong, it's only about the numbers and you better make the numbers, then everybody knows that's the only thing that matters. The humanity of the place won't matter at all. You know, you, you've heard that old line about the engagement surveys, you know, give it five to survive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, Absolutely. because it because it doesn't matter. It's about the numbers. So are we are we shifting the focus within business and within the corporate world from trying to please the shareholder to actually embracing a culture and keeping our stakeholders more engaged and happier? Is there a shift there? I know we've well, got to do both, but but how do you perceive it? Well, we're talking about it a lot. Not sure any of it's changed. Because yeah. people talk a lot. There's they a do. lot of noise. Yeah, yeah, there is. <laughs> but coming back to that, to the original question, then like at what point like is it too big to – or that it becomes too difficult to, to change? Not too difficult, but it becomes mm. like, wow, like that's – you know, it'd be hard to change the culture at, say, for example, like a big full bank, I would assume, because mm. of the size of it, right? And so – but it doesn't always have to be that way. But like, mm-hmm. at what point like, is it a hundred? Is it five hundred? Is it a thousand staff? You know, like, at what point is it like, uh oh, <laughs> we got to a certain size? That's yeah. great because we're successful, but the culture's pretty much ingrained now. Well, I've I've tried to take a look at some of those things. I don't know if I have really good answers about it. Which but just based on your experience, but there is, but there is evidence that says that the best size for an effective decision making group is seven. So then I never understand why people make teams that are 12 or 20 or they make, you know, the size of an average Australian board is 9 to 12. Mm-hmm. Or if you're in a university, the university's good governance guide says, please limit it to 22. I mean, yeah. okay, so you've already, so there's a thing about building blocks of seven that comes from the evolution of humans. Yep. And then there's another um, uh, part of that whole stream of research that, the human brain has a capacity of up to about 150. I mean, I'm, I don't know if we can be completely exact, but, you know, just over 100. Say it's, a, say it's 150, mm. uh, that people can keep track of relationships among a group of about 150. So that means they either know that person personally or they know someone who knows them very, very well. And so you can't game the system when there's 150 people because somebody's going to find out. Yep. yep. Okay. And, 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 you know, the information and the communication flows better. So there's a little piece of evidence about 150. There's some um, companies who try to organize their divisions around those numbers. Because if you, if you grow up to 150 and you, you, you keep the people in that that group pretty clear on how we operate and and we can pick it up pretty quickly if we're not operating that way now you've got a building block of 150 so then your job is to get maybe another building block of 150 Uh, and if you can't manage those groups of 150 then maybe it's just too complicated but we we seem in our society to worship anything that's large even, (laughs) even if it doesn't work you know we want to make it bigger and bigger and bigger and you see this all the time you see all these mergers and acquisitions they don't work so they buy them up they add them up then they break them down Mm. it's kind of like in physics you know how things gather together and then they break up so uh, to answer your question about when can we when can we fix it 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 depends on if it's structured 
in in those kinds of of groupings. And once it gets way beyond that, uh, well, you know, I'm not so sure. Because if if you look around the world at where democracy seems to be working, it's societies that are a bit smaller, like five million, and they have different kinds of structures, and those structures hold. Mm-hmm. Like, look at Switzerland. They have those those things called, I think it's cantons, you know, how they... How, how they organize their decision making, and they've got a, they've got a strong culture, but you know what's the culture of the United States? It has fifty states. It has a, it you know it has government structures mm. that seem to be under a lot of pressure. Uh, so once things are really really big, you know is is there really a a, a culture that you could say that belongs to every person? I, I'm I'm not really sure. Do, do you work more on a micro level then, within teams? What? So, so, yeah. Uh, Well, I, I, you know, I I like to talk to people about their, the micro and the macro, because, you know, when I started talking about that pod thing with you and you were like, you're making my brain hurt, please stop. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Like I'm still in like account manager structure with the specialists and associates and everyone's just talking each other and like. And then what did you, you say talk- to me the other day when I came in here? I'm like, I think we're going to do pods. Yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> but, but so what are pods? Is it just breaking down your company into smaller sections or? It's more, we have a service called Fluid and yep. it's a team. At the moment, those teams are created upon demand. Yep. And it's not always the same team. And the right. pods is having the same team. Yeah. And so there's a right. team that, that is always there together mm-hmm. and they're always working together. And there's a lot of of value in that okay but, learning but to yeah and there's efficiencies and support and you know it yep. just becomes a much stronger team mm-hmm. now to get to that point taking mm-hmm. us like six seven years we've had yep. to, to change a few things internally and yep. but to think about that yeah back in the day there's account managers and departments and specialists and no one talks to each other right, right. yeah yeah to this pod structure, it broke my brain. I just yeah, couldn't. Yeah, yeah, I was yeah, like, like that. But too it, far ahead. So like it's, it's a hierarchical. Step, toward, yeah. a step towards it was, you know, changing yeah. our internal structures and stuff like that, but still keeping some of it similar. It's like moving from a hierarchical structure that's gotten too big and too, you know, too many layers to make it work anymore to a networked structure of groups of teams, which is what yep. I'm trying to describe with this 150 thing. Yeah, yeah that's what I thought you were trying to say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So that, that makes totally so, good sense. So, you know, uh, uh, so that they can collaborate because, you know, the the issue there is if the network structure doesn't have some strong ties between the groups, then they just become teams competing against each right. other. You know, because yep. humans just love us and them. It's like it's in our genetic code. So how would you... Okay, so thanks for answering that question. Yeah. Um, quick quick takeaways if there are, mm-hmm. uh, I guess if there are any, mm-hmm. yeah, like, is there like specific things people can do to change a culture t- to a more positive or just to change it in some way? Well, oh, you know, I, I have to go back to saying they need to understand what it is first okay. because a lot of times they don't, you know, if you want to change something and you haven't actually understood what it is in the first place, well, you know, Good luck. So you need to understand what you've got in order to decide what are the things you need to do to change it. Mm. And the main thing to change is thinking. You know, the, the biggest fences in the world are in people's heads. 
Okay, but then, of course, so then how do I action that? Yeah, say so for the example. Way, the, yeah. the way to action that is to try to get people together in forums where they can talk and it's safe to do so. Mm. Because they'll know what to do, but you have to make it safe for them to talk. So a lot of the things about um, changing culture are, a, let's dump that word. It's about changing mindsets and changing behavior. You know, how much do people want to reflect on their own behavior and change it? <laughs> Not very much. So what do we have to change then? What, what, what are we changing from? Well, that, that's what I'm saying about mm. y- y- whatever the culture is, you need to understand what it is, what are the sources of our success, and is that still legitimate in the current environment we're working in? Because one of the things about you know the years since I said pods, the world has changed too. Mm. You know, so, like Google didn't stay the same. You know, nothing in, not in your operating model, the response to the environment's changed a lot. Yep. You know, and so... That, that sort of pushes people along because they can see they can't get a reward unless they do something differently. And then they're willing to come to some kind of meeting discussion. We, you know, there's some impetus, there's something we can see. But the companies that are the most successful change before they can see it and before they have to. So would you say, and just a c- couple of points here. So would you say then that... Um, because I like quick, easy, simple points to take action with, which you never like to give me the answers to, which is always... <laughs> I love that, Alexis. Just, just give me the bite-sized bits. Come on, hurry so, up. I want the vaccination. Yeah, yeah, I don't want to do, you know, I want yeah. to have a healthy heart, but I want to eat crap, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but is it, say, for example, um, to focus on recruitment, um, to look at the KPIs internally, mm-hmm. um, to look at kind of the social parts of the company like is that the part like I, like i'm trying to kind of get I, some little I, I think you have to look at all of those things you know because who's on the team really matters and then how they come to the belief system that they uh, about you know what works in this place is observing what leaders do mm. you know and leaders are doing things all the time and there's a mismatch between their intent and their impact so you might think you're going around doing one thing. So it requires some self-reflection. And, you know, how many leaders are doing that? You know, uh, looking at, get the mirror out. So it starts at the top, basically, right? <laughs> well, that's, you know, water flows best downhill. Mm. It's an interesting point you bring up because it's something that uh, Peter Drucker actually uh, wrote a book on is about, um, about self-management. It was mm-hmm. more about an introspective uh, look at leadership where leaders are asking to actually look within now. Uh, with the leaders that you do with now, um, how are you finding that conversation to go down with leaders where, where you're actually asking them, go, hey, look, there are a few results that may not be going in your favour, but you're not aware of it and we have to take a look at ourselves and actually take responsibility for our own actions. This is one of the great paradoxes of life. The people. Simple question though, isn't the, it? Yeah, yeah, it's well, it's yeah. such a nice, This but, is a dinner conversation right, question, but, but right? But the people who need the most help are the least um, willing to, ha- to, to do it. Yeah. And the people who are the uh, growing, improving people, they're always looking for the feedback. Mm. You know, there's the, you know, the normal curve in statistics. When you think about that, there's, there's only a very few companies that mm. were way out front that are successful. And you can look in different industries and you, you don't say, oh, you know, there's 10 that are doing really well. It's usually one or two. Then there's a big, you know, pack that are sort of okay, maybe on the edge. And then there's a, ones that are just really limping along. Uh, So in terms of how people 
how people decide what what they're actually willing what are they actually willing to see did they want to, they just want to be in the in the pack where there's everybody's doing the same thing cuz we're not really willing to take a hard look mm. because we've never built up the you know the, the the capacity to have conversations that are really um Oh, I hate this word, but I'll say it. the ro- the robust conversation. The robust usually ends up as a robust up yeah. because people uh, they, they don't know how to have a good conversation. Mm. You know, words really matter. Mm. They they're they're the symbols of our thoughts. They're the window into the mindset. So if you can't have a good exchange and an effective conversation, you won't have good relationships. And then then you've got nothing. You've got no tools to change anything about people's mindsets if you don't have effective conversations. But Melinda, I'm employed as a director. I've got this little plaque on my table saying my director and I've got this expected behaviour that I must demonstrate. Since who said who said that? Mm. Who said that? But is that a thought that's out there? Uh, well, I think, you know, people... Well, I, I teach at the Australian Institute of Company Directors, so I don't say anything different there that I'm saying to you right yeah, now. Yep. And I, I think people are quite open to that. And yes, you know, people have an idea about what a board of directors does. It's it's probably, you know, some mental image of a big, long table with high back chairs. And, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, you know, they were going to sit around this table and deliberate somehow. Mm. You know, it's like some black box and, mm. and 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 if we get that role we have to be very serious yeah right that, but that, that, we have to be very serious yeah. if uh, i can you know. take this conversation into a, another direction because just before i forget and yeah. I, because oh, okay. i haven't taken down the note i'm like take down the note but then i'm still so enthralled. There. Yeah, no. there's a little squiggly that somebody else wrote but that That's, that wasn't my squiggly that was the key that i was wondered it. if we, that was like a symbol of something a symbol yeah, yeah. of the, the culture it's of the symbol notes. of yes yes speed that's going slower um but you talked before about the companies that are staying ahead, uh-huh. what are the characteristics of that? Because obviously you've had a lot of experience in companies at all stages of their maturation. Mm-hmm. So what are some of the things that the companies who get to stay ahead of the curve, I guess, exhibit? You know, So what are some of the things that they kind of, yeah, I guess, like are doing or how are they operating or what are some of the things that they have inst- instilled that Probably, has allowed you them know, that. that that whole openness to the conversation. I think the companies that perform the worst are run by command and control people who think that they're supposed to know it all, and that 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 only works to a to a certain degree. If you're you're in a world as complex as ours, you need lots of people. Nobody has all the answers, so you you need to have uh, openness. It makes me think of. Um, the guy from Intel, you know, who used to say, only the paranoid survive. You know, so whatever... Uh, you know, Andy what, Grove. Yeah, Andy yeah. Grove. So whatever you're doing, you better be looking at it and figuring out if it's past its use-by date. So that that's a mindset. And and I'm, I know there are lots of conversations like that that have gone on in that company over time. Uh, and that would be because the leader is leading on that. Mm. Uh, so, you know, there's different um, structures that, that companies put in place. And, you know, you know, to get really successful at something, you want to be, you know, really efficient. So if people are doing the same thing 
uh, over and over and they're getting better and better and better at it. To expect them to innovate out of that, I think is just really kind of crazy. So, you know, yeah. what you see in big companies is they, they wait for somebody else to be small and do something that looks good and then they buy it, <laughs> right? So so you you can see that, that that's a structure for companies, or the, but the ones that are really that are really super sharp, you know, they'll create those groups inside, like hive them off into a new small team Mm. and they'll have different incentives. They're not part of the business as usual because those companies know that business as usual will someday run out of Mm. gas. So they set up structures to create, uh, you know, the new thinking, the, the, the new ideas and then if they look like they're going to be potentially legit, then bring them inside. You know, it's, a, it's about that structure thing, how you break up the, the structures and give it some life. My, my business partner used to, he's always telling me the story about, you know, when he worked in a big bank. Um, and he had a team that, you know, since they reported to him, they were like a skunk works. He, he hid them off from everybody else to, you know, be coming up with things. Uh, and do that undisturbed, uh, although they had to meet criteria. It couldn't just be, you know, hanging out, talking about stuff, not going anywhere, mm. you know, because you have to put, you know, time limits and things on that. It, you know, if a company like, you know, 3M's the one that people always bring up, they have, um, you know, time that people have to spend and demonstrate how they spent it looking at new ideas. That doesn't mean every idea gets up because you have to have tons of ideas to have one good one Mm. but you have to set up some separate process for that you can't expect people to innovate and be efficient at the same time Mm. you know that's the whole issue about innovation and change cool so now we're starting to touch on organizational change which is cool and this is the part where i would say is um the part which i've experienced your expertise um, <laughs> that's what a sentence that is um the most you know i think this is the part where the majority of companies um have the biggest challenge right and you spoke before about you know cool so there's like an area that specializes or that focuses on trying to innovate and mm-hmm. to kind of to break the mold mm-hmm. yeah but then they have to kind of pull what they've learned back into a company mm-hmm. that doesn't want to change can you talk through like you know, some of the challenges around that or potentially, you know, like the companies that have challenges and, you know, how do you approach it? You know, because I know the experience I've had of, you know, um, well, it's, you. it's what kind of structures you set up to do the thinking. And then at one po- at what point you take the ideas and then you filter them and you find out which ones are the front runners. And then, you need to take those away from the innovator thinker crowd and put it into another team. You don't just have the ideas people run over and say, oh, I had this idea. Um, maybe a way to describe it is, um, uh, I have a friend who uses this phrase, it may sound weird, thinking hygiene. Okay. So what, what I mean by that is, the kind of thinking and the structures and the group processes that you have to generate ideas are completely different than what you do to evaluate ideas. If you try to do idea generation and idea evaluation at the same time, you hear people in round tables with something like this. Somebody says, 
oh, what about this? And somebody else says, we did that before. <laughs> then somebody comes, so then, then the person who put the idea up goes completely silent. So somebody else tries something and somebody says, oh yeah, that'll never work. Well, pretty soon nobody around the table is putting any ideas up at all. And they may never again, because you tried to do thinking and evaluation at the same time. So what you need to do is when you put people around a table and you want them to generate ideas, there's ways and means and tools of doing that. And you have to keep them on idea generation. Mm. And then you've got a, a, a storehouse of ideas. Then you have to stop idea generation. And then you have to review objectives and criteria and purpose and all those things. And you have to filter the ideas. So say you, you generated 100 ideas. So you go you know, through a filtering process and, and 10 of them look good. Well, then give them to the evaluation people and let them try to kill it. See if any of them will still stand up. But those are separate groups of people. Mm. If, if you think you're going to get the same kind of thinking out of the same people, people's brains aren't the same. People that are good at idea generation who are, I guess, nutters like me. <laughs> you know, like uh, I, I wouldn't necessarily be as good at evaluation because I wouldn't have as much energy for that. Mm. You know, so save people for the things that they're good at. And separate and, them in the process. Separate, separate them in the process mm. so, it, if it ha- so it has different stages. And it's the leader's job to manage the dynamic of the people doing that. And, and I don't think leaders spend enough time on that because they're all behavioral things. Mm. Instead, leaders are looking yeah. at, you know, the dollars and the PR and, the, the, you know, because uh, there's all kinds of things that people do. And, and, and humans are, you know... We're good mimics. Mm. We see somebody else doing it, so we do it. And, oh, that's the way you do it. Well, I'm sorry, you know. It doesn't work. Yeah. But, you know, people keep doing the same things because so somebody else is doing it. You know, the, yeah. how, how you organize people and you structure their conversations and you give them the, the tools to get through a, a really effective dialogue, that's a skill. I don't think we really spend much time on that because that's that soft stuff. And that's know? the part, I guess, as well there, Melinda, where because it's so hard and it's so not simple, mm. not many companies are doing it, which is probably why a lot of companies don't survive over the long term. Probably. I mean, some companies are. Um, some companies are what? Some 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 companies are doing what I talk about. Like the, the company, of course, some are. <laughs> it's well, just the, really hard to do, isn't it? Sure it is, because, yeah. because, you know, to do that kind of thing, you have to not only be in it, but on it. You yeah. have to look at yourself. Uh, and, like, I, I think I'm reasonably good at doing some of these things, but then, you know, I'm not good at it every day of the week. Like, I put um, somebody that I work with under a lot of pressure in the last few weeks, and that person sort of just had a meltdown and, you know, took a stick to me. Um, and I thought, ooh, you know, put put pushed that um, a, a little too too hard. Mm. So I explained to that person why I did what I did. Uh, I, 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 I think I retrieved it. Seems to be all right now. Yep. But, you know, then I had to say, I had to do some, you know, profuse apologizing. So that brings up this other part. And sorry, Tony, I'm just jumping between mm. all the parts because I've no, had no. so much experience. No, no, no. <laughs> of Belinda's I, I love sitting here and listening. <laughs> I, I've got like front row seats to this. It's like, I'm happy as. I don't know. Is this working? Yeah. Give me some feedback. Yeah, this is good so far. But um, you talked about you put somebody under an immense amount of pressure mm-hmm. and, and sales they responded. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I'm known around here for putting pressure on things, you know, and like I don't, I can't, not that I can't help it. That's just how I, that's just kind of the default is like we're running that way. I think you can way. help it. I can help. That's why I'd stop saying it because I know, and I actually I can help it. It's just my default. It's my uh, default yeah, sure. is like. And we've all got one. But I think, um, and this is kind of the conversation a few years ago that we had where we had to slow down sales because there was yeah. too much going on and you kind People of. People were breaking. Yeah, and. They were, and this was really? the first. Is that was happening. Yeah, this, they were. It's a, well because when you're selling time, mm. if you sell oh, too much time, okay, sure. People have to kind of like they're going to get stuck, right? And then yep. you can't recruit fast enough mm. to ensure the culture's the same culture, mm-hmm, and so mm-hmm. something has to give, right? And that was the first time that I understood what stress does. And could you just explain the stressed uh, mind? Because I think sometimes, like in organizations, they're pushing on so many fronts they want to change stuff over there but they have the current structure already in place Mm -hmm. they have the existing operation um and so that's causing an immense amount of pressure on the team and then stress happens and so how does that stress affect that team um, well, you know, stress is a physical thing. Yeah, it's actually translated from you know this behavior into something that is you know it's actually a physical. It's it's physical. I mean, people are physically feeling something. People experience a workplace as a you know a survival zone, and you know they're on red alert about what they need to do. And the more stress they've got, they actually become sick. They're pumping more cortisol through their system and more adrenaline, and it's it's stressing their major organs. I mean, you know, when people don't get a rest, um, they can keep going for a while till they start to get a physical illness. But have, have you ever noticed the phenomena of people just being under complete stress and then they go on a holiday and they get sick? Mm. I mean, I've had that. Mm-hmm. Well, that is because you were pumping so much um, adrenaline through your system you know, a, a human body is not like a machine. I mean, people might want to pretend that they can get away on no sleep, but a human body is not a thing that plugs into a socket in the wall. It wears out, and different humans have more or less capacity for handling stress. Some people are quite resilient, and they can handle more, and some people can't handle it as well. And in this business, people are customer, super customer responsive. Mm. And then have piling, piling more work on them when the culture is about being super responsive and really giving the service and then they can't give the service, that, that this is breaking people, you know, so then they keep trying to do it. Then they're wearing themselves out. So then they're worn out. They start making bad decisions. They make more mistakes. Then there's more mistakes. There's more things to fix up. There's more work to do. People start arguing with each other. Um, relationships are breaking down. This is not a good state. Yeah. It's not a good state. You know, when people, when, when people go through a relationship breakdown, um, there's so many stress points. There's, there's a, a scale that measures that it's like, um, uh, divorce and death rate, almost the same points. And, you know, they can, you can look at those scales and, and they can um, predict that somebody will have a major illness in six months time people start to break. They literally start to break. You can say that they're going to keep doing all these things, but they're going to start to break. You know, why do we have all this discussion of mental illness in this country at the moment? Because people are having a hard time coping. There's a lot of things at work and then you look at the news and you want to, you know, slit your wrists, you know, like 
I stopped watching the news actually because yeah, of that, it's a good, it's, that it's, reason. It's a good it's it, it's a good strategy because some of that stuff you just don't need to know because it's all bad. Mm. Uh, and nobody prints any good news stories. Yep. I don't know if you've seen that book called Factfulness that Hans Rosling no. did. Oh, his TED Talk's fantastic. He sadly has has passed away. But you know, it shows uh, you know, all, all the things that that um, demonstrate the world's getting better and better and better. Right. Oh, that's the good news that we don't actually... Yeah, it's the good yeah. news we don't hear because we only, you know, go off and look at that one thing. Um, you know, well, like when a plane crashes, everybody's like, oh, I don't want to get on a plane. Well, one plane crashes. 50,000 planes took off in a day and everything was perfect. One crashed. Like, is the world... Do, do planes, are they a positive, good experience or not? They're, mm. they're a positive, good experience. So we... we we get things out of sync, but you, you know, if enough, if people are experiencing enough of what's bad or that's weighing them down, they they start to crack. Mm. And so, it's no good putting them under that pressure. How do you know before it happens, and what can you do after it happens? Before what happens? You put your team under too much stress, well, and what do you well, do after you, you? The first time it's happened, because you didn't know well, if you what got, that limit was. Well, if you've got eyeball, well, yeah. if you've got eyeballs, and you're tuned into this, and what the workload is, and what a what a person can can physically withstand, you ought to know it way before it ever happens. If you're a decent leader, you ought to know it, hmm. because whatever your own stress load is, isn't necessarily the what what other people hmm. can handle. And you can observe how people are interacting with each other, because when I've been in here and talked to you about what was going on. I could hear it just in what you were telling me. I didn't even have to physically see it. Yeah. And then, you know, we had some um, situations where I've come in where I've interviewed people mm. yeah. uh, because they might be, they might be willing to say something to me that they're not willing to say to you uh, or, or Paul. Mm. And I never say who said what, but, but that was you as leaders making a safe channel, just using mm. me. Yep. So, you know, you, you ought to be taking the temperature of a place all the time. Yep. Well, why wait till people are broken? This is what we do all I the mean, time. You know, you know we, we, I, we yeah. wait until there's a physical injury we can see. And, and then if we never see it and they die, oh, well, we missed that one. Can't bring them back now. Too bad. <laughs> yeah, got it. Got it. Isn't it true? Yeah. No, it, it's, do you um, wait till somebody's really broken and try to fix them? Or do you want to be doing things monitoring all the time? Yeah. See, but I think, you know, that in the time that I've known, you know, you and the folk at Web Profits, I think you, at least you're doing things about that or you're listening. Oh, we try. Not, I, we I try. So. We definitely try. Yeah. I guess I was asking just for the listeners um, who may kind of be like in a situation where potentially they weren't aware because it's pretty hard to be like a founder potentially that's got... I say 16 staff and they maybe haven't kind of recruited it and they're under stress and they're under their own pressure then also as well they've got their t- team under pressure and haven't considered it and well, then maybe they're like, they, they could be saying wow well, actually i am guilty of this what do i do now you know well, well and, you know one of the things I is the leader that? the leader has to look after themselves because you will have no hope of noticing anything in other people if you're so off the planet yourself uh, you know, and lots of leaders do that. To be a leader in anything requires a lot of energy, you know. So every leader has to have some kind of sustaining practices and some level of self, you know, awareness. Mm. Why did Ariana Huffington write that book about, you know, sleep? Well, she, because mm-hmm. she had some, you know, mythic belief that you can get away yeah. without sleep. And I hear lots of people say that, she, oh, I get away with four hours. Yeah, I'm like, you're, she, you're lying to yourself. 
she she uh, she basically threw that out the window. She goes, I can't function without seven hours sleep. And then she said how much more productive she was after seven or eight hours well, sleep. There's, and, and, there's plenty and, of science about that. That's yep. when the body repairs itself. So mm. if you want to believe in the hero myth yep. that you can get away without sleep, okay, go ahead and believe in it. But you're telling yourself a funny story yep. because it's just not true. But, you know, facts are kind of out of fashion, you know. Evidence, so? fashion. Yeah, well, because people want to believe. Just because people have an expectation or a belief doesn't mean it's true. Mm -hmm. Sometimes I say this to people, you know, you might be suffering from utopia syndrome. <laughs> there is no utopia, you know. But just because you want something doesn't yep. make it so. Yep. But do, do we need more role models then like um, Ariana Huffington as well to go around and say, hey, we need a more balanced lifestyle from a leadership point of view? Well, I don't know. I don't. I'm a bit of a skeptic about the world mm. of celebrity. Mm-hmm. Because we don't know that much about those people and we don't really know what they do and you can make all kinds of stuff up on Instagram or whatever. We don't yeah. really we don't really know. Mm. Um, I think it's up to each person. I mean, I have this very simple belief yep. that if each person who's a leader, who's in a leadership role, is willing to do their part and look at themselves, if we were all doing that, we'd all be fine. Mm -hmm. Why why are we just waiting till somebody else proves it to us? Because, because they're a big voice because they got a big name? Is that why we should believe something? You know, I think you... you, you we, all, all you can really control in life is yourself. Mm. And, and you can't control your environment. And, you, you know, you have to respond to things. But, you know, you can control your own behavior and your responses if you're willing to do so. But, you know, there's a, a psychology trait, locus of control. Yeah. Uh, you know, so some people think the world's happening to them and some people think they are happening to the world. So the yep. people that are, you know, on the, the side of, you know, I'm making it happen have, mm. have more of a chance of, of doing so. I'm not saying the other people couldn't, couldn't overcome that, but you know, people have different sets of beliefs. You, you, you can see people just sit down and say, I used to work on the lifeline phones mm -hmm. and you know, did you? The, yeah. So did I. Oh, yeah, that was... Did you change your name all the time? Mm. Or did you keep your name? Uh, I think I kept my name. I always changed it. You did? Oh. Hi, you're Brandon Lifeline. This is Brad speaking. <laughs> oh, gee, did I you want to, be to talk Brad? to you with that voice. Maybe <laughs> no. they don't want to talk to me with this accent. <laughs> no. what, what a rewarding but, uh, thing to do, you know, though. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but you, you, and then, but you would hear people... And, and, you know, the, and this is what you find in counseling work and you mm. do coaching work, mm. you know, you listen to what somebody's saying and you can hear they're on the wheel. Mm. And then if you, you make some suggestions and they're not able to take it up and they want to be in stuck, the world's happening to me. Mm. Well, I, I guess the world will happen to you because you, you know, you, you can't see it and it, it takes different people, different amounts of time Absolutely. to come to a realization, but every person can look at themselves and how they behave in the world yeah, and how they lead other people. Yeah. You, you can, that's something you can control. It doesn't matter what headlines are or what some celebrity is doing. You, you, you do that. Okay. But Melinda, do you need like Alex, your example is beautiful because you and Paul, when you were pushing um, the sales guys go out there, go, let's go push, push, push. You would have had a whole lot of enthusiasm. You would have gone, you know, numbers on the board. It's great. Mm. You've got enthusiasm driving you. Absolutely. There's no doubt about it. But you had to hit rock bottom towards a degree, or people had to hit rock bottom before there was a change. Like you weren't just saying, oh, there's well, a little bit of a problem. I call it rock bottom. I think rock bottom is a long way down. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But I think there's enough stress there that yep. is causing. It was showing. What was it out of 10? Showing. So what was the stress out of 10? So 10 being the worst and 
oh, eight. Eight, okay. Stress levels. But everything was like the sales were excellent. Sure. Yeah? And so like it, like it, it seemed that it is going well yep. until the team And I said to Alex, what are the margins on all those customer jobs? Right. Mm. You know, because there's more measures than sales because sales can look good. Mm-hmm. But if you're not making money on each job – and you stressed the people with giving them five jobs that weren't making much money, wouldn't it have been better not to take those jobs on and be choosy about which jobs and get the one that makes the big margin? That was the kind of it's conversation just so we were having. It's hard when you're trying to grow a business and oh, you're trying to that. find stuff that works. Yeah. To hit something that is working, you want to really push it, right? I get it. Unfortunately, get it. we don't yeah. sell software. <laughs> Where you just scale software, you know? And so that was um, a part of it too, it's you know? It's so, problem with services. Yeah. But to find the balance mm. between the customer and the thing which they want, the amount which you charge, mm. the staff which you have, uh-huh. the service which you provide, the ability uh-huh. to attract additional staff as you scale. Like these are very difficult things they to combine are. together. And then at the same time to look after the culture and the people and everything there to mm-hmm. make it fun and enjoyable to, you know, yep. spend time and to go home on t- like, and to innovate at the same time and to, you know, mm-hmm. I- include it's challenge. It's a challenging part. So, that's what's so hard about and, business, and you've you know. Been, you've done it. You you've done that. You doing you it. and Paul doing it. Well, are Still doing it. it. Yeah. Uh, but that's because you're willing to look at things. Yeah, definitely willing to but look at things. You're willing to look at things. I think that's you know, that, that's what all that emotional intelligence is. It leadership yeah. awareness, self uh, self awareness. That's what that's about. Okay. You know, and and the the willingness to include other people because if things are that complex, one person is not going to have the answer to all that. I tell you what's interesting about that, right? Yeah. Because last year um, or the year before, like I had to present something at the annual conference, right? Mm-hmm. And the next one's up next week, which is I'm very excited about. And I had this big presentation trying to sell this idea to people, mm-hmm. and I work with. Tony, um, who's an excellent um, uh, consultant in terms of this Tony. speak. Yeah, this Tony here. Yeah. He's a public speaking oh, consultant. Um, he's a public speaking yeah. coach and he's helped me quite a lot. Um, but he's like, whoa, 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 whoa. Why, you know, stop trying to, t- t- um, to sell people on this idea. Actually ask them questions. Oh, you know? you, and he, you, that, he changed my whole perspective on just how I – present now in front of people i just get them to do all the talking and it's great because they're collectively way smarter than me and i hardly ever have the answer and so i go in going cool so here's the problem and we're all going to talk about it and it really comes out pretty well and so like i give uh, quite a lot of um respect to tony um in just kind of changing that psychology and i think it's similar. It's the same it's thing. Similar it's, it thing was the, you know? it's the town hall idea. It's, it's a, a town similar hall thing. Idea. How do we get engagement? Um, Heltz Schultz, uh, the, uh, the former co-founder of Ritz-Carlton, says it really well. He goes, how do you create a place that others want to be a part of? And the way he did that, he just asked them. <laughs> They'll what, tell you. And they told him. And that, but it's, it's exactly what you're saying. But, and but exactly like you what don't you're saying, think yeah. about it because I yeah. had this, this vision of like, I'm going to go up and I'm going to present this thing. And I'm like, is this the best way to sell it? Mm-hmm. And he's like, yeah. Whoa, he's like, how many slides is that? It was like, oh, 78. He's like, oh. he's like, like oh. he stopped at slide two. He's like, well, have a look how small that scroll bar is. Well, mm, yeah. 
Yeah. Maybe Full five and put pictures in all of them. Which is what he got me to do, which was great. And so I think it's similar. I know, but thank you for that, Alex and Melinda. What I'm thinking, going full circle on this. Okay. Going full circle from what we were saying, so getting through the stresses of being a business owner, going through, it's like charting something. You're going to have mm-hmm. highs and lows the whole lot. But what we're saying is if we had our company culture and our values from an early piece where you said you can actually do it from one or two people, that's where it's got to stem from. Melinda, you would most probably be the best person to sit down and chat with to actually get some clarity around that. Correct me if I'm wrong, but I I would love to. If I was going to start something off, I'd go, this is the scale that we want to build to. Mm -hmm. What's the mindset that we need now? What what kind of working conditions do we need? What kind of culture Mm -hmm. do we need? How would you help somebody out like that? Well, you know, at the very beginning, it's hard to... um, it's hard to dictate what the working conditions will be because you're just, you, you are going to be moving so fast, you know, to keep it going. But mm. you do have to, at the very beginning, I think, have a very clear purpose mm. and set of objectives yep. and also a set of values that you are not going to let go of. Mm-hmm. And, and not some list of values on some page somewhere, but something that you are keeping front and center every time you make a decision. Yep. So when you make a decision, uh, you, you've actually referred to those values. I, uh, yep. I started a business once here in Australia and sadly I was not as successful as Alex and, um, Paul, although it was during the recession we had to have. That's my best degree, University of Hard Knocks. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But there there was a stage where uh, the product I was shipping, the fabric that it was made out, it, it was in the rag trade. You wouldn't know it mm-hmm. to look at me now. But anyway, um, that's my first degree, fashion design. Wow. Um, so the fabric that was shipped, was uh, it was flawed. And right. I, I thought, I'm between a rock and a hard place now because if I uh, – well, I have to spend all this money to replace it. And the um, supplier was like not negotiating at all. You're too small. You're a little fish. What do you think? The world's going to, you know, do you a favor? Go away. Mm-hmm. Uh, so if I replaced it, then I was going to have to, it was going to be very expensive. And it was also going to delay um, the customer orders and uh, piss off the salespeople because, you know, they wouldn't get their commission on time. Mm. It was either do that or ship crap. Okay. So here you are. What do you do? Myself. Mm-hmm. What do you do? Why, why did I say me? Like I should have flicked this over to Alex. I normally do this. Do do? I throw him down. I, ship crap or make them wait and spend more money. You don't have. I'm, I'm Which a, one do you do? I, if for myself with the values that I hold, I would have I would have said, you know what, let's deliver what we promised. So let's give them quality and, and that's sort of I a long term game. That's, yeah, what that's I me did. personally. And well boy, was I running hard, you know, yep. to keep all the salespeople in the boat yep. and have them talk to the customers because they could cancel the orders. Yep. Uh, you know, so there that was that was really juggling. But I I had to do what I believe is the right thing to do. Yeah. You know, and I took a lot of decisions like that. In the long term, that business uh, didn't work. And part of the reason it didn't work because I was worn out on it. I had, you know, one of those looking in the mirror moments at one stage where I thought, you know, it's not going to work because I'm tired of this. I'm worn out on this. I don't enjoy it anymore. Uh, I don't have a passion for this. So I'm not going to be able to inspire anybody else. So I will have to look to 
you know, exit and do something yeah. else, which is which is what I did. So I didn't, uh, you know, I didn't go bankrupt or anything like that. I I just called it. Yep, called it. Uh, I I I just called called it off. You know, and that's a hard space to find in a business as well. Um, you know, there's not like a, an easy stopping mm. um, space mm. on things. Um, but you know, if I if I hadn't said, you know, what is my purpose about this and what values do I have, then I could have made that trade-off decision. Because I've seen a lot of people trade off their principles because it's t- it's too tough, yep. you know, to go the other direction and you, you don't think it's going to work. Because, you know, a lot of people that start businesses fail the first time. We don't seem to like that so much in Australia. You seem to get, you know, you can get a few fails on the board in other countries and you can still... Mm. you know, get, get going. Cause you know, you try something new. It doesn't always work. Yeah. It doesn't always work. I failed a few times before. Really? So I mean, yeah. Like, well, you learn things from that. Really great you, lessons. you learn things from that and it doesn't, you know, and, and the thing is then you, you have to be mentally um, strong enough to say, well, you know, I'm not uh, a disaster as a human being because you know, this didn't work. Cause because lots of things don't work. Mm. Uh, but I, I took those tough decisions, and and it wasn't that long after that decision that I decided to call it off. You know, because right. that was really hard, and it and it just made it made the whole game even tougher. What year mm. was that? Was that two oh eight when this happened? Two oh nine? Oh no, a lot earlier. Jeez, I need to put more makeup on for this. <laughs> a lot, lot, lot older than that. You know, yeah. no, it was a lot a lot longer ago than that. Yeah. yeah. Because then then I had to go on this. You know journey through the wilderness to find the next thing to do, you know, and people that know me now, they probably, they wouldn't know that I ever had a retail business or that I ever yep. had a, you know, I used to be a, I used to work at Neiman Marcus, like, you know, I, 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 cause I have a thing What's about, a, it's a big fashion department it's store. A, in it's the like United a David States. Jones in the like US. Like a DJ's. Yeah, okay, no, cool. beyond DJ's but and like beyond. Massive. Um, okay. and, and so, uh, you know, they're the ones that have the catalog with the crazy mm. thing in it every year. You know, in Dallas, you know. I'll have to take your word for it. <laughs> oh, I was taking my word for it. Okay. Come on, Tony. But, but in Dallas. Know, that, in like, Dallas, of course. Yes, yes. You know, it's like it's like another life. It's not like you can't reinvent yourself mm-hmm. and try other things. And mm. the things that I learned then, I, you know, I kept, you know, I kept I kept with me. And I, and it's not like I don't look back on that sometimes and go, gee, that was, that was a real, that was a real failure. Mm. It doesn't make you go, oh, yay, I feel so good. But, you know. Yeah, like you get some perspective on it. You have to be, you have to be open to the fact that you might fail if you're going to start something up. Mm. You really do. Yeah. What was your motive behind writing your book, um, setting the tone from the top? Because, uh, you know, I I facilitate a lot of courses. I've done you know a lot of teaching because the career mm. that I had after that business was uh, I got the PhD and I went on the faculty uh, at the business school at UNSW and I loved. You know, I loved the teaching and it was all the topics about managing people because in that business, you know, you can see how much the relationships uh, matter, uh, you know, the relationships with those 40 salespeople that I had, you know, all those things really mattered. And and also, you know, like what would motivate them? How do you motivate people? Yep. Like all the behavioral things were just so interesting um, to me. So... Uh, in the course of doing all that training, people ask you a lot of questions. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes the questions are about 
the people things, just like the reason I yeah. ended up, you know, talking mm-hmm. to Alex right. and Paul in the first place. Those are the questions people ask. And and then if if you're in a classroom with 25 people, it's hard to zero in on one person's uh, thing and get all the nuance of it so you can give them some advice because then you're boring the other 24 people. So I thought like the things that I think work, I'm going to write, I'm, I'm going to write them down. Yep. And then I, um, and Bob Selden, my co-author, he, he's a good friend of mine and he's, he's, you know, he's written other, other books. And so he, he, he what actually was the catalyst for this one is he wrote another, a, a new book and I read it and I thought, Oh, you know, that's, that's got something in it that's going to answer people's questions. And so I, I introduced him to the publisher at the Institute of Company Directors because I was thinking the publisher would just take his book or get yeah. him to write something because, uh, you know, there were, there were all these gems in the book because uh, Bob's a terrific uh, colleague. So um, the publisher at AICD asked us to come to a meeting. I thought I was just, like, coming along for the ride, and he said, I think you've onto something here and you need to write a book that's for directors. So, you know, that's where I, uh, so that, that's the, the genesis uh, of that book. Basically people asking about how do I handle these difficult situations with people and wanting, you know, to give some understanding about how you do that and some, some tools and some, Guidance. That's word. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. Well, I was just going to ask um, how somebody would buy that through the Australian Institute of Company Directors. It's a Kindle book on Amazon. So we'll put a link in the show notes um, so they can just get it as well. So it's on Amazon, which is probably the place everybody is going to buy it. Um, and then there's um, some other links to get the physical book. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Great. Absolutely. Sorry. <laughs> um, look, I think that's a good amount of conversation. Um, for today around this stuff. I mean, like I know how much we can talk about it because we've <laughs> talked about this for hours and yeah. hours yeah. and hours and hours and hours. Um, thank you for coming on the show today. This what has been pleasure. really, really Thanks cool. Thanks for has the opportunity. Fun? Yeah. It's been a lot of fun. Um, I just want to give um, a quick, um, what's the word, um, a quick plug um, that you're open to consulting other organizations, right? Sure. And how would somebody get in touch with you if they need to... They can look on the Streamwise Learning website and see all about us. Streamwise Learning. Streamwise Learning. Dot com dot au. Dot com dot au. Dot com dot au. And you can see all the things that we do. And, and, and there's not just me. There's my co-author on the book and then a whole, and a whole and my, you know, all the other people that I work with. And I, I, I like to think that the thing that binds us together is we all have a similar value set about how we do things. Great. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. This has been awesome and it's been great to share, you know, some of the experience I've had with you with with everyone else. Thank you, Alex. Awesome. And yeah. what a pleasure to meet you, Tony. Yeah. So thanks for It's been cool. Thank you both. I've had front row seats, by the way. <laughs> okay. I've learned about pods, I've learned about uh, a culture, I've learned about how values are set. Um, and the other thing is is about stress and the importance of identifying it. And the importance of having somebody like Dr. Melinda to come into your <laughs> office to save it. And Alex, sharing the stuff that you've gone through, I've loved how authentic you are and how mm. how honest you are and, and open with the information that you do divulge. And I think people are going to get a lot out of this. So you guys have both been fantastic. Thank you for front row seats. And I'll see you guys later. Yeah, yeah. cool. Thanks. Cool. Thanks for listening to the Growth Manifesto podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please head on over to iTunes and give us a five-star rating. For more episodes, please visit growthmanifesto.com forward slash podcast. 